You're listening to The Simply Flawsome Show, a podcast designed for you to listen, learn, and leverage. Please welcome your host, Zoe Turner. panic attacks and anxiety disorder in the dark for many, many years. And he's now created a community for men to talk about their fears and anxieties. So I'd like to welcome the first, my first guest in the first series, Mr. Paul Booth. Hello, Zoe. How are you? Really good. How are you, Paul? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to get this going and start talking about all things men, anxiety and fear. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's great what he's doing. He's fantastic. Yeah, he's had a, a dark time. But I think when you now looking back on what he's saying now, if you look back to like five, six years ago, when he was this egotistical masculine male, yeah, we'll get on to this, but effectively what he was doing was just hiding the fact that he had these fears and these, these anxieties and this probably panic disorder. He exactly. hid behind it. A false perception and uh, an over-egged masculine character to hide the fact that he had this fear because I've been there. You know, when I started getting panic attacks back in 2007, I think it was, I used to find any excuse or act up to try and hide the fact that a situation I was terrified in. So, mm-hmm. so rather than someone look at me and go, that guy's scared, I would put this false pretense up. And that's pretty much what Fury's been doing over the years. But I think after having his low, whatever caused it, whatever, he's now more comfortable with who he is. And he's mm-hmm. in a position now where he can go, right, guys, I'm going to put my hand up and say, I had this problem. I have a platform to say, it's okay to be scared. It's okay to be depressed. It's okay to cry. It's okay to whatever. And just put his hand up and go, I'm fighting on the world stage in a heavyweight competition, which is probably, he's one of the four best heavyweight boxers in the world who gets punched in the head for a living, you know, and punches people for a living. And now I can put his hand up and go, I get scared. Or yeah. I have to press. That's brilliant. It's really good because you need guys that have got this masking character to come out and say it's okay. But it's you know? interesting going back to what you were saying about how many years ago. I mean, it, it was just you know for me he was just too egotistical. Um, you know, he was just shouting out off all the time. I, I just despised him. I, I didn't even like listening to him. But now it's a mask. It's, he, a, mask, it's, a, it's mask. a mask. Exactly. That's what I'm coming on to because now it's kind of like he's being his authentic self. Like his masculinity, that this mask he had on of masculinity, it was constructed. It wasn't really being masculine because being masculine is being open. It's being honest. It's speaking out about your problems and it's being yeah, like... Well, that's what we would hope most people think, but being masculine is not that to the most male population. Being masculine is being that tough guy, right? And we talked about it before we went live. It's about this. Once you become comfortable with who you are, which includes maybe your sexuality, your anxiety, your panic disorder, whatever your life is, once you become comfortable with that, you then, all these anxieties and, and fears and all the bullshit, uh, and he said the S word, but all the, um, no swearing. Once you're comfortable who you are, that all gets yeah. dropped. You can uh-huh. be a good human and a good father and a good son and a good dad and all that sort of stuff, right? You can be brilliant at it. That's, but it's this masculine word where people think, this is what you know, I talk a lot about this, is that guys think by putting a hand up and saying, I've got this fear inside me, I don't know what it is, or this, or this weird thing I've got, they won't put a hand up because their ego is blocking them. And they put a fake mask on because I did it for six to seven years. I pretended to be this hard character in the armed forces when really internally I was 
bricking it. I had to go into small enclosed environments all the time. I was in the military. It was horrible. But mm. I hid behind this bravado ego, which basically ate me up inside. And mm. it made me a worse a person because I was just a lockdown machine. And I, and I think that's what he's been living behind all these yeah. years as well. When I was watching the post-fight press conference today, I was actually crying. You know, at the, you know I thought it was really quite emotional, at kind of the journey that he's been on. And um, one thing he did say was that to ex you can tell he's obviously been in a lot of therapy, but he did say to experience um, to experience the sunshine. If I'm saying this right, to experience the sunshine or to enjoy the sunshine, you have to experience the rain. Yeah. And and what I. I, I do think that when you hit, hit rock bottom, like he has, and a lot of people listening to this probably have as well, that it can actually be quite humbling. It, in many ways, it can, be, it can make you a better person. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Yeah, it is because you don't really... Everyone's different. Let's let's, let's, let's clarify that first, everyone is different. But mm -hmm. until you... I wouldn't say always being rock bottom, but... Until you see yourself in a different light, you have different experiences, you don't really know who you are. And we, we probably never know who we fully are, but we just got to be comfortable with who we are and what we've got and who we are as, as men, as women. I would aim this at guys, because yeah, this is the, my thing about is speaking up. And I do speak up because I'll go back to it, the like, Tyson Fury thing. I put this face false facade on of this egotistical masculine man, 120 kilo, playing rugby, was the guy that everyone like looked up to, like Big Boovy, like I was calling the forces, but it was just a facade. Yeah. I am actually a really soft bloke. And you asked my Mrs. Linda, she was shocked when she actually opened up this guy who was just like, who's this, you know, yeah, this big roughy, toughy guy, but actually I'm, I'm soft at heart, you know? Mm -hmm. But you hide all that because it's fear. Like I was saying to you before, Ed, these situations now would have scared the life out of me, you know, five years ago, actually speaking on a camera, knowing mm. that people are watching it. But now I don't care because I'm comfortable with who I am. And, mm. and, and because I've got a big mouth, I'm, I feel it's my duty to speak up and go, guys, just put your hand up, just talk about it. And the reason a lot of that is because I know a lot of people that the anxiety has gone from anxiety to panic attacks, to depression, to death. There was a guy inside my own personal branding group early this year that someone messaged me and said, oh, do you realize that so-and-so is, 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 is hung themselves? I was oh. like, no. Yeah, and he was in my branding group, not my anxiety group. And he was, and when I started talking about this anxiety stuff, he was like, oh, yeah, Paul, I'm really glad you're talking about it. It's an amazing thing. And then two weeks later, he was gone. He was gone, which yeah. is sad. And it's happened quite a lot in the force of it. I know a lot of guys that have, 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 have taken their own life because really they didn't put their hand up at the time. Yes, they've got a lot of dark stuff going on, but they didn't put their hand up and go, I need help. Someone just help me out. It, so it's, and I do it from a position for having it because I think sometimes I'd never seek, seek therapy. I went to a therapist once and I sat there and they started talking at me. And I said to the person, I said, have you ever had anxiety or a panic attack? And they said, no. And at that point I walked out. Okay. That, so yeah, so it's- when, when did you have your first panic attack? Uh, it was around tw two, uh, I was around 2006, 2007, right at the height of my military career, really. I was flying to New York. I had this weird feeling on the cones of land, like an a, a, a enclosed feeling. I can remember having it and then thinking, oh, what was that? That was a bit weird. And then the next day, I'd, I'd been drinking the night before. I got up very early. 
I'd had about seven shots of coffee. Don't ask why seven shots. First time in America, I have seven shots of coffee in Starbucks. Then I got on the Empire State Building lift. This was January. I was wrapped up in a coat, loads of scarves and a hat. And I just suddenly had this panic attack at floor about four. And there's about 80 floors in that lift. Um, and for the whole time up, I was threatening to punch everybody in the lift and kill them all because I was just, I was, it was just a horrible feeling. But I had did that. Did you know and then what it was? Did that be no. your first time? Did well, you know I didn't know what, what it was. was. I just, I just knew I wanted to kill you every single person. You were having a heart attack or something, did yeah, you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I didn't know what was going on. I was panicking. I, obviously, the word panicking, panic attack. I, didn't, I just didn't know what it was. I was just scared mm. for my life. Didn't know if I was going to pass out. Didn't know if I was going to be sick. On, I just, it was a weird feeling. But I was terrified, and I just got really aggressive. Mm-hmm. But that was, that was really it for a couple of weeks. And then what happened was every time I got into a situation where I felt out of control, then these these things, these these hairs on the back of my neck came up, and then I got this anxious feeling. Then I started, you know feel sick and my breathing started to change and then it just snowballed and snowballed and snowballed because I did what most guys will do is is try and control it and I can't, you can't control it what was well, your you role, what was what was your role in the military I was in charge of 60 guys and about 150 million quids worth of military assets as in helicopters so I was a boss okay. I was a person who had to uh, encourage people to be the best they can be and you know it's just I was yeah I was I was basically in charge of a lot of guys so they looked up to me as this leading yeah. figure whereas internally yeah. I was hiding everything behind yeah. my nature. So, so I guess yeah, you, was, you felt you had to put on a facade. You you know you had to put on this kind of like authority maybe tough guy facade. Yeah, because you're telling guys to don't be fearful because some of the guys the guys go into situations which is terrifying and you're saying to them don't worry it's all good. You know, mm-hmm. really internally I'm myself I'm scared you know but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it was just scary because my one was more around being confined and out of control. And so like buses, trains, confined spaces, military is full of confined spaces and you get stuck in them quite a lot. So, you know, it was, it was just, it was, it was horrendous and I, it was horrible. It was horrible. But without that experience, then I wouldn't have understood how I was trying to get out the other end of it. But yeah, yeah. We get on to, you get on to how I got out of it at the end. I didn't have therapy. I basically trained myself to not worry so much about it but that's a yeah yeah it's it's basically in the mind um i mean i realized i was chatting i went for a swim earlier on today in the sea and i've created this anxiety and this fear about swimming in the sea and um we swam about one kilometer and it was the first time i'd been in the sea for like for a proper swim not i'm not just talking about like having a little paddle i mean i've no proper proper swim with your goggles on and your hat on and whatever and um so yeah so it, i think the last time i was in the water was probably about a year and a half ago and um and i was really nervous today and i've done like three triathlons before and um and each of these triathlons the swim has been oh well on two of them the swim was like 2.4 kilometers yeah and on both of those swims, um, I experienced such anxiety and, and panic that my head was just like, I thought, if I let this overtake my mind, I'm going to have a panic attack. I remember on one of them, it was the second one that I did, the sea was like so rough. They were thinking about calling it off, but they didn't. But the sea was so, so rough and they had to change the course. Um, you know, to get out of the water and then kind of, you know, it was, 
changed it. The first, the first, the first course that they had, it was like a whole 2.4 K in the water, but then they yeah. split it into two and you had to get out of the water because the sea was just so rough. And I remember initially all I could do was literally breaststroke. And then I thought, God, I can't swim like 2.4 K like in breaststroke. Where was the anxiousness coming from? Fear of, fear of drowning, fear of sharks, fear just, of things in the water? I don't know. Do you know what? I've no idea. I mean, when initially when everyone rushes into the water, it's just kind of like every each man for themselves or each person yeah, for themselves. And I'm not particularly a strong, fast swimmer. So, you know, people are running in and then they're swimming past you, they're swimming over you. Sometimes they're grabbing hold of your leg. But alongside that is my fear of the, the open water as well. But I remember at one point on the second one looking over and I saw a woman in a kayak and I thought, should I call her over and get in? And then I thought, no, Zoe, you've done all this training. There's no way you can give in now. And that's when I decided to reframe it in my mind. Yeah. And basically the waves that were crashing over me, it's weird, but um, I used to, at the time I used to um, do a fair bit of boxing. And I was imagining that I was in a boxing ring. And every time the wave hit my head, um, I was being kind of hit in the ring. Um, but I was, strangely, I was enjoying it. It was weird. It was weird. I really turned it around in my head. I knew that if I gave in, I'd feel so disappointed. So I just created this whole like little kind of visualization and image in my whole mind and that's what got me through it well yeah but now you're talking about that i explain how i got through mine and and i want to start because guys will be watching this i want to say that it's that when i first started to try and work out what was wrong with me and chat to people i used to go my ego was still kicking in going oh this is all just woo woo it's all woo, reframing and visualization i was thinking i'm a man what's all this rubbish about so i was very close to it and when I just started looking into it more myself, so what I did was, is that so, someone just said to me out of the blue, they said, they said that feeling, that, that, that hairs on the back of your neck, that, that feeling your brain is giving, that anxiousness, is exactly the same feeling you used to have when you used to do decathlon and play rugby. That when you used to walk out against the other team to play a national anthem, I'd hairs on the back of my neck, they gave me a buzz. And then that nervousness on the, on the start line of 100 meters, that is the same hormone that creates anxiety and panic attacks. So, and as soon as someone said it to me, they just said, look, Paul, every time you get that nervous feeling, just think about when you got on rugby pitch. Now, when I played rugby, I played rugby league and union, but I played league for the Navy. And the first time I ever played, we came out to the national anthem, we stood there, and the hairs were on the back of my neck. And, and, and I get them now, I feel it now. The first time I ever played yeah, for the Navy, it's amazing. Um, uh -huh. And so every time now, I used to, well, when I started to get, Pack attacks when I started to understand it more or the feeling came on I just said to my brain start thinking about that rugby game right at the start and then my brain just switches away from this fear that's coming in mm -hmm. in the situation and I start thinking about a real good feeling I had on the rugby pitch and it disappeared mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so and then and then and then the biggest thing for me that got rid of it was when I put my hand up and said to people like I'm going to be honest with you, you know, I'm going to tell you now I used to struggle I do struggle sometimes with fear and in this environment, this situation, I told my partner, I told my parents, I told people close to me. So, so I said to him, in this scenario, like in an airport, when I first get in the airport, I'm a little bit snappy. I'm a little bit moody. I want to just get in the airport, sit down and chill. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I'll pay for lounges so I can just chill out because it, they stress me out. And then if I let it stress too much, I go into anxious feeding. So once I told people that's what was happening, actually funny that I did a talk once and it was a live talk and I walked, I was cacking myself because my, I thought my I thought a panic attack, panic attack was going to come on when I stood on the stage. I walked onto the stage and I said, right guys, I'm going to put my hand up. I suffer from anxiety and panic attacks. I want to tell you first, just in case I look weird and walk off the stage. And as soon as I said it, it just dissipated, it's 100% gone. Really? Wow. Yeah, because, I, because my, my panic yeah. attack and fear that would come on was from people staring at me and then me feeling enclosed. Yeah. And then going, ah, get away. So I told them I had it. Yeah. And then I told them I was fine. I just started talking. Just kind of so broke they, the ice type thing. So yeah. What, so, what you're explaining now is basically like NLP. Yeah. You know, that kind of the visualization. So you were thinking of a positive experience you know, to get you through this kind of negative feeling that you had. So it's kind of like, a, you know, an NLP technique. Yeah, okay. I, I've never studied NLP. I've got a friend who does it and I was just, I didn't realize he'd, he'd done it. And I sat with him, explained to him how I got over him and that's NLP. I said, mm-hmm. I've got a clearly, clearly clear what it is. I just, I just worked out that my brain was doing one thing, I was doing another thing. So it's, Mm-hmm. That's why I help a lot of guys like me now do the same thing. I just explain to them how I did it because mm-hmm. I think sometimes it helps someone who's to talk to someone who's had it, who's had their fear and been in their position. Sometimes shrinks and all these other type of people just talk down to you and you actually feel more, you feel stupid. So mm-hmm. was, do you know what I mean? So I just, I just, I started my little group thing to get guys just putting their hand up and admitting it first. That's mm-hmm. the first thing, the removing anxiety is just putting your hand up and telling people you've got it because when you're trying to hide it it gets worse so what was the moment that made you kind of realize that you have to be honest and open about it when you said you you opened up to your your wife and your um you know and your 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 mom and dad you know what was the um was there a particular you know, kind of course of events or experience that kind of makes you think, right, no more. I've, I've just got to... It was just, it was just a, I, when I, when I, after I left the military, when I left it, I left the military in 2012. And after I left the military, there was, there was no more ego bravado around me. So the military is a very masculine dominated environment. And when you come out of that, you know, call it banter or whatever you want to call it. Do you know what I mean? But when you, when you leave it, you're not around 60 dudes anymore. Being man, men, men, men. You just... You're with your partner and you're in the real world. You call it civvy world when you leave the military. So that was the point then I realized I had to do something about it because it was it, the character I built in the forces was a, was, was a character. Boothy was a character in the forces. He was this, this type of guy. When I left, Boothy was no, needed long, no longer needed. He was, he was just a character I had in the forces, but part of Boothy was me. So when I left... I didn't know where, the main reason, I didn't know where I was in society. I didn't know where I fitted in because you have a character in the forces. When you leave, you, your character can't survive in the real world because you probably get arrested or you probably get locked up for, you know, if, if the, way, the way you speak and the things you say because it's yeah. not really. So it made me realize that something had to change. And that's when I realized that who I was wasn't really the person I was for 16 years in the forces. Plus, before I joined the forces, I was sent to military boarding school from the age of eight. So I was just this, um, brick wall down non-emotional lump for basically from the age of eight to the age of 37 or it was 36 I was my left so when I left I naturally had this sort of moment where I'm going I've got to check this is not me I am actually a sensitive kid who was mm-hmm. in school I had to block it all off for years 
because I was protecting myself and my brothers. And that's just the way I dealt with it. So it was just a, it was a, a moment about six months after I left because I didn't know who I was in the real world. Said, and I said, well, I've got to do something about this. So I just started researching myself and mm. learning myself and then trying to put myself in environments that were uncomfortable to see how I reacted. Look, my core skill is in a problem solver. I was an engineer in the military. I build brands for people now. And before that, I've always helped people, always coached and guided people just because I can do that. So I'm a natural problem solver. So I thought, right, I've got a problem. How do I solve it? But how do I solve it without creating more problems for myself? So yeah, I've got a bit of a, a complex mind, but yeah, it's pretty much gone now. Every now and then I'll get, I might get a little funny feeling in some in situations. And that is generally from me going, I should be anxious in this environment. Mm. My brain's saying you should be anxious. Should my brain's be. Not. Yeah, not yeah. Anxious. That answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you start you start bring up bring it upon yourself because your brain's go well. It's two years ago you're anxious, but you're not anymore. Why? And then you start it starts questioning your head, and you just, it's like talking to this like devil on your shoulder and going, just shut up. Yeah, you know, stop. Crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's like yeah. So, but I think the point I want to make from all that rambling that I've just done is that the moment I put my hand in the hand in the air and said to my fa- family and friends, I'm going to admit to, I'm going to tell you something now that I didn't tell you for the last 16 years of my life or last 10 years of my life, how long I had it for. I just put my hand up and said, this was the problem. Mm-hmm. And um, I went back about, uh, was it last year or two years ago? I think it was last year. I went back to see a lot of the boys in the military and we sat down. There's like, there's about 200 of us at a dinner. Um, and I was on a table with my closest mates. There's about 10 of us there. And then I said to them as well, I put my hand up and said, guys, I'm going to tell you something. You won't know about me in the armed forces. I was always cacking my pants. I was nervous, anxious, I had panic disorder. And eight out of the 10 of them, but no way. I had it as well. Really? Wow. Crazy that eight of the ten closest guys I knew in the forces all had the same thing as I had. But we never told each other. And, the, and the, the consensus to why we didn't is because if we told someone that we had panic attacks and, and, and anxiety, we would have been perceived as weak. Mm-hmm. As not men. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you know, therefore, people look down at us. You know, so no one ever said anything. They just dealt with it. But what difference has it made to your life speaking out about it and being open about it? To, to, to my life, it's it doesn't. My life hasn't really changed. The only difference is that I don't have, I don't start cacking my pants when I'm in an airport or something. No, that's changed. But more importantly for me is that being more open about um, what people perceive as a weakness, but I see it as a strength because what it's allowed me to do now is help. Is I love helping people. It's weird. It's, my thing I enjoy most is seeing someone that's taken a bit of advice from me and they improve themselves, or they improve their business, or they improve their life. I just, I love seeing people flourish. So mm. the best thing that's happened for me is that I can speak, I can see, I can meet someone, I can see they're having anxious moments, and, and, and you know, I can see, I can tell by body language, straight away, as soon as I meet someone, and they're in an environment, I can see them, and I can see in my head, they've got it. And I bring it up to them. I sort of go, oh, I don't, I, I have a knack of chatting to someone and saying, oh, I'll tell you what, this situation two years ago would scare the crap out of me. And they go, what do you mean? So, oh, probably never told you, but I, I just suffer from panic attacks. And, they, and then they'll go, yes, so do I. Because I know they've got it, but they're not going to admit it. So I try and get it out of them. Mm. So that's what it's done to me. It's allowed me to now sort of help other guys or women like me just, just because it restricts you. If you're scared of travel, if you're scared, if you're scared of buses, trains, planes, you'll start making excuses not to go on holiday. You'll start making excuses not to see family and friends. You'll make excuses why not to go to an office party or go and do a certain job because you're restricted by your limitations of your, your mental disorder, you know, your, your mental health. So that's limiting your life because 
you're putting this false barrier in front of you because you don't want to deal with the fear. So mm-hmm. you just stay in your little comfort zone. Yeah, and, and some people end up staying at home, so they have no life. So for most people, it improves their lives a million percent because they're yeah. not restricted. Do you yeah. think it's becoming a lot easier for men to talk about now, now that there's a lot of like celebrities such as Fury, such as Ryan Reynolds, um, Prince Harry, all these celebrities are coming forward. Um, you know, The Rock and admitting, and there was that NFL player, I can't remember his name, but they're all coming forward and admitting that, you know, they've had like, you know, problems and they've experienced issues and stuff. Do you think it's, kind of becoming a lot easier for men to talk about it and be open about it now. Yeah, no, it is, but it is, it is, but they are doing a great job at making people aware. But the problem is, is that people are still stuck in jobs. I'm, I'm not going to say the person I was talking to two days ago, I'm not going to say what career he's in, but he's in a force of some sort, not, not military force, but he said to me, he would never ever put his hand up and say he's got it at work because everyone think he's got a disease. Think he's a pussy basically effectively yeah they would they would they would they would banter him to, as if almost if he had some, something wrong with him so mm. it's there's some environments where still you can't put your hand up but I tell you what, at the end of the day it was you just gotta put your hand up it's no different to my last four years in the military i went from drinking beer to drinking mm-hmm. wine now in that environment drinking wine they you think see, they're so you're rotten, seen as rotten. a girl <laughs> Exactly, yeah, but I did it, yeah. and that's and that's and I, but but you just got to just do stuff. If you don't do yeah. it, it change. And it's, and it's again, it starts with guys just putting a hand up and admitting to someone they've got this thing in their head. They don't know what it is, but it creates fear for them. It's not weak saying you're scared of something. It's actually it makes you stronger by doing it. it. Makes you as a human stronger, and it makes you a better human once you deal with it because you're you as a human you you're restricted. So therefore, you're not the best human you can be when you're restricting yourself because you've got this fear in your head and you're hiding behind some bullshit ego, you know, and that's what guys do. We all do it. I used to do it. Every guy does it. It's an ego. I do think the notion of masculinity is changing a lot. And, um, I mean, I touched on that a little bit before in that, you know, I still with lots of guys and many, many years ago, um, you know, the idea of being masculine was being tough, being strong, not kind of opening up, not showing any weakness. But now, I mean, I was watching something on YouTube earlier and it was about masculinity and it was how to be more masculine. And ironically, what they said was be more feminine. So the way to be more masculine is to be more feminine. And so what they meant by that was to be open, to show your emotions, to show compassion, to show kindness and you know all of these kind of traits are what make you a man rather than this like you know big tough image yeah for me though that that when people try and define what masculinity is it, it does frustrate me a little bit because what you're describing there is just being a better human being whether you're male female transgender whatever right just just being more authentic to who you are and being a, and being kinder and understanding people's weaknesses, understanding people's fears, understanding people's emotions, you know, that just makes you a better human being, which ultimately makes you more masculine, makes you more a man. Because when we start talking about masculinity, you start looking at these guys that, the, the young boys that go around now are plucking their eyebrows, right? Do you <laughs> know what I mean? And, shape, and it's just, that's just the way things, but they go, they've got prune, prune faces, right? Eyebrows are all plucked, you know, they, get, they, get, they wear makeup, 
uh, you know, there's a company called Warpaint now, guys who wear makeup. So where does masculinity start? Where does it stop? I think at the end of the day, by just being a better human being will make you a better man. If mm. you go down to the nuts and bolts, men and women, just be a better man. Whether you pluck your eyebrows, you admit you've got fear, you're a, you're a guy who eats cake or you're a big butch rugby player, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you do. I think the ultimate thing is just be a better human being. Mm. And going back to the thing I say, if you've got anxiety you, and what's, what's you know, said is a mental illness, it is a mental illness, There's nothing wrong with you've got a mental illness, it's just life, right? If you've got anxiety, you've got panic, just admit, admit you've got it. Tell people you've got it because it will change your life as a man. But I, I struggle, you, you know, when you say it's a mental illness, I personally struggle with that because I also think that it's, I think... And it's like depression, you know, I mean, I've experienced, of late, I've experienced quite difficult times. And I've actually thought to myself, my God, this must be what depression is. And, um, you know, I, but I've always kind of thought, and I, but I still think that, but I've never been kind of diagnosed. I've never taken myself to the doctor and I wouldn't, because for me, all these things can be managed with lifestyle. Oh yeah. So when, when I say mental illness, I'm not. What I'm trying to say is that if you, t the thing is, if you have anxiety or panic disorder or depression, anxiety is created up it's, here. It's, it's, classed, it's classed by the government or classed by whoever it is as a mental illness. So I hate the way it's being phrased. Like if you can't focus at school, you're told you've got att attention deficit disorder. You know, it, all this. If, if you can't learn properly, you've got autism. I think it's an absolute load of horse. S-H-I-T, because my son is like me at school, right? He does not focus at school because it bores the crap out of him. School bored the crap out of me. I wasn't autistic or had ADD. It was just boring. Yeah. So, so, so it's like, like it's, you've got someone on your brain. They, someone say you've got a mental illness, so you've got to accept that. You've got to accept that at the gate. Someone say you have a mental illness, whether it's just something in your brain or not. So the point I was making was that, it's classic mental illness, but at the end of the day, it's just something in your brain or something in your body that's restricting your life to be better because it's just a barrier. And again, the point for me as men is the ego that stops them. It's the well, ego. But what frustrates me as well is when people are feeling quite depressed and quite low, is the ones that just don't do anything about it. You know, like, you know, there'll be, you know, you know, I know, we probably all know people who, have been like that for years and they're not being proactive and they're not doing anything about it you know i also think those words are overused as well zoe i think someone like go i'm depressed they're a bit sad right there's a lot of this goes on right now so it's oh, i'm really anxious you've never had anxiety you're not anxious you're a little bit nervous right or i'm having a panic attack you're not having a panic attack you just like so it gets overused i, I noticed it's my son 17 he watched a lot of these american youtube programs Mm. And, he, and I watched the women and like you see him going, oh, I'm so, I've got, oh, I'm about to have a panic attack. And it's almost like a, a turn of phrase, which just means like I'm getting overexcited. Mm -hmm. And it's not a panic attack. It's not anxiousness. It's not depression. They're a little bit sad. So the words get overused. So I, what you're saying is that some people go, I'm depressed. They're just, they sometimes they're not depressed. They're just sad. And they're, they're, and they're not a character where they pull themselves out of a, shit, uh, a rubbish situation. Right. So they use the word depression, but they're not depressed. They're just yeah. in a rubbish situation. I think so, some people have been on medication for years. I mean, I know people that have been on medication for years. And um, I, 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 found my, I found out my mum was taking, um, she was um, some sort of depression drug. And I didn't know for two years. As soon as I found out, I took them off them. Exactly. I said, no, what are you taking them for? I'm, I'm depressed. 
Well, she moaned like hell for the first week, but she's fine now because exactly. they're making it work. My friend, a good friend of mine, he was he was getting, he was um, suffering from like severe anxiety. Um, he had issues with his company, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He had five kids, married, so all the financial kind of responsibility that came with that. Living in Dubai, where you're having to pay for the schooling and stuff, um, and you know he suffered for, for many, many years. And then um, he was on all sorts of pills, and he recently came off them. And I kind of, um, I knew that he was coming off them. And then I thought a couple of days in, I thought, my God, I need to send him a message just to check that he's okay. You know, thinking like he might be suicidal or something. So I sent him a WhatsApp and I said, are you okay? And he was like, yeah, I said, I couldn't be better. So I think he weaned himself off them. But, you know, some people, I just think some people mentally have a kind of, you know, an attitude where, they just don't want to be in that situation and they'll do what it takes to get out. Whereas some people, they just, you know, they just can't, they just like to moan, I, you know. I mean, yeah, maybe I'm not describing it well, very well, but they, they that's, just... That's the one thing great about humans. We're all wired up differently. You know, some people will drive themselves out of bad situations. Some people just sit there and wallow in it and use it as an excuse to get attention, right? But... The the point is that if someone really has these problems, the best thing they can do ever is talk about it. But if they don't if they don't talk about it. No one can support them. No one can help them. No one can guide them. No one can point them in the right direction. But going back to like um, the for anxiety and the pain, you know, the one is Valium, right? People would smash Valium when they got anxiety, but it calms them down. Nowadays, CBD oil or CBD are brilliant for it. Are brilliant. Mm. It's like. Places where you can't smoke cannabis, right? Yeah, because by the end of the CBD and the THC, THC and cannabis is the stuff that gets you stoned. That's legal in the UAE. That's CBD. Oh, probably not. Probably not in the UAE, but it will be soon. It's still around. Yeah, around the US. I uh-huh. I use CBD oils. I use CBD oil now. I think it's and tablets. It's not uh-huh. for my anxiety. Is what it does. It just makes my brain work faster and more chilled okay. because I am a thousand miles an hour. I can do sixteen things at once in my head, but uh-huh. I need to slow down sometimes. So I just take it to slow the brain down. But it also calms you, which is brilliant. So I've been studying a lot recently about um, kind of, you know, entrepreneurialism and mental health. And um, what's become quite clear to me is that a lot of entrepreneurs or or budding entrepreneurs um, have problems with um, the mental health, the anxiety, because it's such kind of a roller coaster. And I know that you work remotely from home um, and, you know, you've got your own kind of digital branding business how have you coped kind of you know in in that area have you experienced any any difficulty no because when i got into this i was i was pretty much getting over my um my panic disorder and, and anxiety problems but having been in this industry and being around a lot of other entrepreneurs one thing i've noticed a lot of people that come into entrepreneurial but I hate the word entrepreneur. I'm going to say that because I dislike it. We're self-employed businessmen, right? Um, a lot of people that come into the entrepreneurial world have come in because they have to give up work or they want to get out of their job because their anxieties about work has built up too much. So what I do, rather than facing anxiety and, keep, and being employed and doing really well, they come out of their job and become an entrepreneur. They call it entrepreneur, self-employed. Um, and then try and win that way. So they struggle because they come to an environment which is up and down because one minute, you can have a lot of cash. 
and next minute you can get overexcited, think that's going to be continued. Most people's brains is if you make an X amount a month, you're going to make that every month, right? So mm. when entrepreneurs are doing well, they spend to what they earn most of the time. And again, I'm pigeonholing most people. And then what happens is when the business crashes, their emotions crash as well. They get they've got bills to pay, they've got serious debt, and you haven't got a job that pays you every month to keep you safe. So it becomes a very very emotional roller coaster, which then can cause massive panic and panic attacks and anxiety problems because it doesn't take much for it to trigger in, a, in, in anyone. And then things like being hyper, hyper wealth and then and having nothing can seriously change someone's attitude straight away to finances and, and their anxiety. So yeah, the entrepreneurial world is not for people that have got anxiety really because it is scary. But then mm-hmm. entrepreneurs medicate it with lots of drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, as in Valium, I'm not talking about like, you know, class A drugs, but I'm talking about stuff that you know, dampens down your anxiety. They live on coffee and Valium. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So it's, but that's a dangerous world. It's a dangerous world. But it's just, going back to the whole point of this thing is, if you just speak up about it, it makes it disappear loads. You know, before, what, about, what about kind of meditation, yoga, breathing? Do you do any? Probably, I, I don't do that. I, um, no, I don't really. I, do you want? Because when I'm meditating, my brain stick. <laughs> well, I tried to do meditation. I, I tried to do the guided meditation from YouTube. And I found with me, because my way my brain was 100 mile an hour. When I sit down and someone's talking, I'm thinking about, and when they talk, they say something, it triggers part my creative part of my brain. So, for example, I do, two nights ago, I tried it again. Guided meditation. The guy said something on it, and it triggered my brain to think of a brand. So it didn't really help me in the sense of it was calming for a little bit because I was laughing at his voice, so it chilled me out. But then it triggered my it triggered my creative brain, which was yeah. you know. So, but I, I get why people do it. I it's just we're up again. Humans are all different. We all respond differently to different stimulus. So if it works for one person, then do it. If it doesn't, don't you know? Try try everything. I've tried meditation. I've tried yoga. I've tried stretching. I've tried all these weird like cold water therapies just to see how how it responds to my body but ultimately the best thing i did was tell people i had, I had a problem yeah i find panic breathing um really helps and i do that most mornings and and just movement exercise a few exercises on a morning um if i'm not going out for a run i'll just you know kind of stretch and do my exercises for about like five minutes or so and then kind of do my breathing and that really really sets me sets me up for the day one thing i did do when i used to i used to get anxious one thing i did do was i would when i knew something was coming on as well as reframing as you said what what the word was reframe the situation i would slow my breathing down massively i would constantly slow my breathing down because that 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 fight or flight system it requires more oxygen to keep going so therefore, if you just as you're breathing more, you're getting more oxygen. Yeah, because you go, you start hyperventilating, you get more oxygen, and it makes it worse. If you just can't. I just remembered actually. I was I went to a meeting last week, or it was like two weeks ago, and as I was coming down in the lift, there was three of us in the lift, and then this girl got in, and I was just chatting to the other two. I didn't know them. We were just like chatting, and then this girl got in, and the girl I was chatting to said, are you okay? And I turned to her and she was literally having an asthma attack. 
she had like an asthma thing and she was just like breathing like and I was quite worrying and she went outside and I thought oh, I'm gonna have to follow her out I actually went out the front and I thought you know what she went out the back and I thought I, I need to go out and see how that girl is so I followed her out the back and she was just doing like the I, I guess it was quite similar to a panic attack really because it was just like short short very short like breaths that she was taking and she was struggling to breathe and I just held her hand and I was like look you need to get the oxygen in your body take some deep breaths and she calmed down. She did. She just so, so an, asthma, an asthma attack is effectively a panic attack because people asthma sufferers. My my ex wife was a, a, a asthma sufferer, and what it was is that when they start to get short breathed, they naturally enter panic mode. Like where's my where's my inhaler? I'm about to have an asthma attack. So then brain goes back into that first ever attack. So my first time I had a panic attack was in the lift. That was the trigger. Their first time they ever have an asthma attack is the trigger they always go back to when they feel short of breath. So mm -hmm. that is a panic attack. This mm -hmm. is, this is the norm. It's a, your brain recognizing the situation and then going to mm -hmm. panic mode to, 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 you know, so she's just going, <laughs> naturally she's going to do that because she's thinking she, her brain's telling her she's more out of breath than she actually is because mm -hmm. it's a panic, panicking. So yeah, it is a panic. It's exactly the same as a panic attack. It's just as, asthmatics get it worse because their trigger is something serious. Like they feel out of breath and then they go, oh shit, I'm, I'm going to panic. So it's the same as when a guy or a girl or anyone goes, let's say their, their fear is confined spaces. They get put into confined space and they go, I can't get out. Then instantly it's bang. Their brain's gone. Where am I? Where's the exit? I can't get out. I'm confined. Panic pack attack kicks in straight away. Mine used to be like that. I'll go in a situation, then I'll be scanning the area. Can I get out? Where's the exit? And then I'm thinking, right, what do I do to get this situation? And then that creates a panic attack because mm -hmm. you, you're not in control. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So it's just um, it's the same thing. You're right. It's just breathing. But slowing down your breathing, less oxygen. Therefore, very non-scientific Paul's way of saying just slow your breathing down means less oxygen in your body, which means less chance of the panic attack getting worse. If that makes and sense. I think lifestyle as well. And that's one thing we haven't touched on massively, but like your whole lifestyle, that has so much to account for like depression and anxiety. I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast earlier and he was talking about, um, about depression and, you know, just talking about kind of um, hunter gatherer and that, you know, we weren't made like in this day and age with like mobile phones and computer games and everything. It's so different now to how it was like when I was a child, when you were a kid, you know, we never had that. And we used to kind of go out and play outside. That's what you did. Um, so it's, I think the society that we live in these days makes it so much easier to kind of, you know, um, maybe creates social isolation and, and depression. Um, you know, and the point that he made is we weren't born to, to be, we were born to be in the nature. We were born to be walking and, and running and breathing in the fresh air, not kind of holed up in a house just on the computer all day, you know, talking yeah. to friends that you've maybe never met before. And, and all that environment and the foods we eat create a hormone imbalance in our body, which then creates the, the possibility for your body hormones to be out, out of sync, which creates panic attacks. So, and actually, that, I'm, like, I'm glad you reminded me of that. When I first started to discover what caused panic attacks and stuff, I started to look at how I could control my adrenaline. So straight away, off, ditched coffee out of my life. Caffeine, yeah. gone. Gone, gone, gone. Anything that could have caffeine, anything that was gone. 
alcohol, if I went out and drank with the lads, I would purposely not do anything the next two days afterwards because mm. being hungover would, if I went out, hungover anywhere, even to get some food, I would be the most anxious freak on the earth. And I was two seconds away from panic attack. So mm-hmm. I recognized what triggered me. But what happens is some people go, right, the worst, worst case happen things, someone drinks, knows the next day they're going to be anxious because the drink's not in them, so drink again. And that turns into alcoholism. You know, I know I knew two people that end up being alcoholics based on anxiety and panic disorder. Mm-hmm. And that's what created them being alcoholics. Wasn't it because they loved being drunk all the time? The alcohol just stopped them from being, it sedated them from having a panic attack. So mm-hmm. they, they just turn into alcoholic, which is crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't, I probably have one bin, big binge night a year now, but I stay, mm-hmm. I stay away from any human contact for like two days afterwards. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's recognizing it. It's like, but coffee is the coffee is the biggest trigger of anxiety there is out there. If anyone gets anxiety now, ditch mm. coffee out of your life. Just go decaf. It might taste horrible, but it's the best thing you can do because it just brings everything down. Yeah, I've never actually drank coffee, so. Well, um, you would be wired off your face if you drank coffee. Though, if you never had it. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. I was, was going to say next is a lot of it comes down to science and that's what I've kind of realized like just through like researching from my book it's all so simple I think when it I think we can overcomplicate things and we can overcomplicate the whole depression and and everything you know but if you just kind of break it down into very simple steps um, like exercise for one, like my friend who I was talking about that was on all those pills and he was taking like a shitload of pills. Um, yeah. He was taking everything and um, literally he's just gone off them and he's absolutely fine. But he works out. He works out most days, you know, and it's scientific fact that exercise is good for our kind of our mind and our body and there's a protein that's released into our body when we exercise, which is called BDNF. And that's kind of stands for brain-derived neutrophic factor. Um, so basically, when our bodies exercise, our brain thinks it's under stress and that we're going to fight flee. Yeah. And um, basically, BDNF, it's a protein that's released into our bodies to protect the stress on our memory neurons. Um, and apparently it's as addictive as cocaine, heroin, and morphine. So, you know, it just kind of makes you think if it's that simple, like why don't all these people that are suffering from depression, why don't they just buy a pair of trainers and go running every day or make sure they go walking like every day? You know, they're too depressed. They're too depressed to do anything. That's the thing, right? Like, but let's go back to the Joe Rogan thing. I'm Zoe, I'm totally on your side of things, right? If every human ate healthy, drank healthy, moved healthy, a lot of these problems wouldn't be there. But unfortunately, a lot of people get into really crappy situations, eat a lot of crappy food, drink a lot of crappy crap, take a lot of crappy things they shouldn't be taking, and then they end up being in crappy relationships, crappy environments, just a crappy everything, and it ends up putting that person into a situation where they don't know how to control it, or they don't know how to get out of it. But I think ultimately it comes back to the same thing. If no one knows you're in that situation, and, and you don't put your hand up and ask for help. And secondly, when you do ask for help, is you take that advice and you help yourself. Most importantly, you've got to help yourself. And my thing when I say to the guys is when you put your hand up and say, I've got a problem, no one can make you do that. You have to help yourself and go, I need help, right? Mm-hmm. 
And then once you say you need help, then all these other things are great. I believe 100% that you exercise, you eat right, you don't drink the crap that makes you feel weird. You're going to be a thousand times better in two, two to three weeks' time. But mm. you've got to help yourself and do it. And why don't people do it? Because humans are lazy. Yeah. And, and they have fear. And that's why they don't do it. It's, it's, it's obvious what makes humans better and healthier. It's obvious that the crap we put in our I body creates... Don't, I just think some people don't want it enough. You know... I think, you know, they, um, you know, they say they want a better life, but they're not actually doing what they should be to get it. And I actually think maybe, you know, maybe they haven't got a why or, you know, a lot of it comes down to like, what is your reason? You know, what is your reason for living or, or, or whatever? And, and I think if you don't really have a why, but I just think some people like to, I don't know, I'm not sure empathy is one of my strongest points, I have to say. Well, I, I, tell you, I used to be like, I'm, I'm on your wavelength with that. But at the same time, is that what you got to remember, if you look at science, humans are naturally lazy. Naturally lazy. Because there's a reason why everyone, knows, everyone who smokes knows it's going to kill them. And they know it's bad for them, but they don't. I used to be a smoker. And I smoked, for, I smoked on and off for two years and stopped for three years and started for two years. Usually in line with me going away with the forces, I'd smoke when I was away somewhere. When I came back, I didn't smoke. But I'm doing it. I was a fit guy. I'm like, what am I doing smoking? But I just still wouldn't put them down and give them up because I'm like, it was a social thing. So humans were naturally lazy. You know, so it's, you have to, there has to be a... They're naturally lazy if they get themselves into that habit. Everything's a habit. Laziness is a habit. Exercise is a habit. 100%. Healthily is a habit. It's all a habit. Like for me, um, yeah, I can be lazy, but I tend to work out most days because I know that I feel shitty. I mean, I say most days, I haven't actually worked out since uh, I've, I, I um, swam today. So, <laughs> so I haven't yeah, worked out today. You, no, you are wired up differently. You are wired differently most of you. You're quite a motivated person. So, and this is what I find when I'm chatting to guys who got anxiety is that, and the panic disorders is that, it's not that they're not that they're not motivated. It's that they just don't know where to start. And it's the like point most- that I'm making is, I think I, I could be like that. It's like when women look at you and you say, "Oh, you're so thin." It's like, you know, and you've got such a nice figure. You must be that. And it's like, no, it's because I take care in, in what I eat. I take care of myself. You know, like naturally, my family um, are quite. I say this without being rude, but they're quite large, you know, um, been quite overweight, yeah? So surely if I were to eat lots, eat the wrong diet, you know, and, you know, these, we're not naturally motivated. We're not naturally, um, you know, kind of thin or we're not naturally happy. It's something that we work on and, you know, I've experienced quite dark times recently, but I've chosen not to let them kind of rule my life. Yeah. Because I know that there's better things out there. And, and I know what I need to be doing to stay happy. I remember at one point I was that low and I, I literally just had to force myself to cycle every morning because I knew that was the difference between a good day and yeah. a bad day. And if I didn't do it, I, like, I knew it was just going to be a shitty day. So, I don't know. That's my... I, 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 yeah, it is. But 
I think getting back to the point of what we're talking about is, is, is depression and anxiety stuff is that the more people that talk about it, like the Tyson Furies and like all the celebrities that talk about it, and the more people like myself and you or whoever it is to talk to other people and say, we've had it, we're not going to help you, but we can just tell you how we helped it. It's going mm-hmm. to help people motivate themselves to say, I've got a problem. Motiva- motivate themselves to say, I have depression, I need to get out of it. So it's people have to help themselves, but they need the support around them for pe- to get it going. It's, yeah. the world tell, is us, for- tell us about Anxiety Crusher, because this is a support kind of network community that you have set up to help men and to enable them to speak out about their fears and their anxieties and the depression. And, you know, I think you've already explained why it was so important to you. I mean, you might need to, you might want to add something to that, but, you know, how would people kind of connect with that? How would they kind of get in touch with you? And, and, and what's the purpose of the group? It's simple as it's a place for men that men can come. This is not because I'm not going to try to exclude women or anything. It's just that because guys obviously feel fearful if they say it out loud to a majority of male and female people, they feel weak. So I've created a Facebook group where guys can just sit there and they can talk about the weird shit that's going on in their head they can't really understand. Because a lot of guys will know. A lot of the guys in there have come in there going, I don't know what's going on in my head, but I want to be in a place where other people will talk about it. And it's just a place where guys can come in and be very open because like I said, the most important thing a guy can do is put his hand up in the sky and go, I need help. Speak up because too many people I know have gone from a little bit of fear to hanging themselves or jumping off a cliff. Um, so I don't, I, it's suicide ends up ruining a lot of people's lives. Not just the person that's died. It ends up wrecking the life of the people they left behind. So, but more importantly, Guys can be a lot better human beings. A lot of guys out there that are being nasty, horrible, I'm going to say the word, horrible people right now is generally, is sometimes, let's not make excuses for them, but sometimes can be because they've got this fear inside and they don't know how to control. So the only way they can control it is by basically putting it on someone else. Yeah, when, definitely. So for, so for me, agree, when, when people act like that, um, it's definitely because they're fearful themselves. It's like bullies. Um, yeah it's just shifting it it's just shifting their anxiety so the whole point of anxiety crush is just a place for men can go and sit there i mean i've got a t-shirt that says men anxiety anxiety doesn't make you uh, you know you're not a pussy i can't remember what now actually i've got a t-shirt here there you go oh you got a t-shirt fantastic men listen you're not a pussy anxiety is effing okay because you're not you're not it makes you should have worn that. I know. I forgot about. It. <laughs> I wear it to gym, and when I go to loud places, because I go to yeah. shopping centers, and I wear it, so people spot it. Because yeah. I'm trying to move the stigma. Because guys, honestly, and have you ever had anyone stop you and and say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what it's about. But you got to remember, I'm I'm six one, 120 kilos. So generally, if someone has stopped me and talked to me, I'm quite a scary looking bloke when I'm walking around. But the people do stop me and ask me about it, and people, and that's a great thing because all that. And look, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm just a bloke who was in the military, a very male-dominant force who had this problem. And I just feel like it just, what's the point of me of having it, getting through it, and my big mouth not helping someone else get through it? So it's just a place for guys to come and just talk about their weird shit in their head. And it may help. A trucker cap. I can see it now on a nice trucker cap with... 
You're not a pussy. I might get arrested for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it's the place. But look, there's there's multiple places online where you can go and get advice. But my place is just a place where it's guys that are suffering from the same shit and they can talk about it because sometimes a psychiatrist you don't trust them. You don't want to tell your wife because you're fearful that she's going to think you're different. You know, you don't want to tell your pals because you think they'll think you're a pussy. But this is the strongest thing you'd ever do. I know it's weird, a guy to say you can make you strong to come out of a, a you perceive a weakness, but it does make you strong. It makes you a better human being by being open and honest about the weird shit that's going in your head because you de-restrict your life because you're not restricted because you're not going, I can't go and do this because I've got an illness or I've got, I've got you know, we, you spend your life lying to people to try and get out of situations. Oh, let's go and meet all our friends. No, why? Oh, we go on the bus. Oh, no, I don't want to do that. I'd, I'd rather walk. You're like, are you mad? You'd rather walk on the bus because you're scared of a bus, right? So it's it's just crazy. So, yeah, a place for guys just to talk about that weird stuff. What kind of response have you had from guys, from men? No, it's good. But, yeah, you know, so you get, so guys, you get in there, you get some guys in there that have, like you said before, people that don't really want to help themselves. They just want a place where they can moan. Yeah. Because you want to and it's and not, I guess it's not about that, yeah? No, it's because I, I don't get aggressive with people. I just say to people when I like that, I say, I, I never use the word man up because that's a bit of a derogative word. But I would say to them, you've got to pull yourself out of this miserable shit you're in state right now. So, all right, stop moaning in this group and, and give me something that's positive. Don't yeah. just moan, moan, moan. Be positive about the situation. If you've got a problem right now, sort your shit out. Go and t- take control and take charge of it. Rather than... The group is here for you to talk about it and understand it, but it's not a place where it's not like alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous where you just sit there and whinge about the fact you like drinking, right? You're in there, you've got a problem. Now you've got to take ownership of it and deal with it and mm. manage it and go and say sorry to people you've hurt. Go and do shit you need to go and do, but don't sit here and moan. I have no time for moaning. I'm probably like you, Zoe. I do not have time for people that moan about their shit situation because what we do have as human beings is generally all the time a choice. We can make a choice. If we're in a bad relationship, we can leave it. If we're in a bad situation, we can generally get away from it. We always have a choice. We just put our own natural bullshit barriers in front of us to say why we can't mm. do something. Mm. You know? Yeah, and definitely. That, I complete everything yeah. choice in life. I was reading something, um, I think it was a Gary, oh, I was watching a, a Gary V clip on YouTube. I don't remember what they asked him. I think it was something about happiness. And he was like, you know, why are you so happy or what? I can't remember. It might not have been that. But he was like, well, what are the choice have I got? You can either yeah. be happy or you can be sad, you know? And sometimes I think it's a case of as well, you just fake it until you make it. If you know. Send that happy one. I heard a great one actually two days ago. Someone said, rather than making other pe- trying to make other people happy, make yourself happy first. Because exactly. by doing that, you make other people happy anyway. Yeah, and you even, and even if, like, like I say, even if like, you feel like your whole world's falling apart, just kind of visualize your life how you want it to be. Visualize you being the person that you want to be. Just visualize being really happy because when we're visualizing these good things and we're experiencing all this kind of like gratitude and, you know, being grateful for what we have, it's, it's not easy to feel depressed and no I, i'm a, training the mind to to think like that i'm a i'm a do shit type person so luckily for me when i had my anxiety pack i for a while i didn't know how to deal with it because it was a weird scenario for me but then 
I'm a, I'm a, I'm a problem solver, do, get stuff done. Like this year, I decided I was going to move to Spain. And in four weeks, I moved to Spain. From an I, from a, I'm going to move, no, not even thinking about it before to doing it. So I'm someone who just gets stuff done straight away because yeah. I think if you just sit and think, that's when you have problems. So again, going back to the whole point of this thing, if you think in your brain, I need to do something about my anxiety and tell someone, just do it. Throw it out there. What's the worst that's going to happen? What's the worst that's going to happen? Someone's going to go, so what? Who cares? And we'll put the link. I'll put the link. You have a, are you on Instagram or Facebook for anxiety? It's, it's a Facebook group. It's a Facebook group. Yeah. So it's, there's a page as well, but the whole point of the page is to get into the group where you could just be a man and talk about stuff. There is no women allowed. That's not so, it's not some sexist. It's just because men, it's a space where men can talk amongst men. Uh-huh. And no, any ego just talk and they can be themselves because there's some guys in there that haven't told their partners or haven't you know are scared to tell their partners because so that's part of the conversation sometimes yeah. it's just but i am very direct if you're going to come in and moan i'm going to tell you to piss off <laughs> okay all right then so yeah so we'll put that link we'll put the link for the group in the comment section um on this on the post that's going to go up um, we've been talking now for probably about an hour, I think. Yeah, I think anyone watching this is probably falling asleep by now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's well, it. Before we, before we go off those, though, the great thing is that this topic is endless. And this is something yeah. I know we're going to be doing moving forward. It's fantastic because it is an endless topic. It is an, and there's so many people out there that need help. You know, like, hey, I went to dinner. 10 guys on a table, eight out of 10 of them told me they had the same problems I had when I was in the forces, right? So that tells me there's way more. They say the statistics are like, what's like 50% of men have got anxiety and whatever. I reckon it's way more than that because they probably canvas people and half the people that did canvas don't tell them they got it because their ego gets in the way. So, yeah. and it's the same for women. Women are the same, no different. Everyone has some nervousness, pain, struggle, anxiety in their life. It's just the best thing we can all do is just talk about it. And when we talk about it, we become better humans. The thing is though, I'm just... I think you've got to be selective because it's not just men, it's women that don't talk about it. Like for years, um, if I was experiencing kind of, you know, tough times or whatever, I never really used to talk about it. Like, it's like my dad, if I ring my dad and I ask him how he is, he always says he's okay. And I know for like a few years of his life, he was experiencing a really challenging time. But he would always say, I'm okay. And I kind of like adopted that attitude. Like I would always be okay. And then it was probably about um, quite recent, maybe about a year and a half ago, I kind of decided that I was going to be more open about it. And I remember going cycling with a friend once and I was quite open about kind of my struggles. And it was kind of the first time I'd really spoke normally I wouldn't use that opportunity to do that because I would just class it as moaning yeah. and this person just threw it back in my face and um so I think you have to be selective which is probably- yeah, but no, for, I, do, do you know what it is though for me I think you should be, I don't think you should be selective I think you should be you should be free to tell people anyone who's in your circle of friendships or anything what if you've got a problem why why you why you something if you're telling them because it's something you want to get off your chest and they throw it back in your face to me personally, that person will be my friend network because they're not a good human being. Humans are, we should help each other. 
right? And not throw anything back. If someone's opened up to you in any way at all, my opinion is this, right? If someone opens up to me in any way at all, I would never ever throw it back in their face. I would try and be an ear of help for them. You know, if they were moaning like you thought you might be moaning, I would say to them, you're just bloody moaning. But if I actually thought, and I'm quite good at recognizing a moan over actually someone reaching out, you know, asking, you know, I would never ever throw it back in their face. And if they did, if they did offend that to me, they wouldn't be my friend. Maybe they thought I was moaning. But I didn't think I was, but maybe they thought I was. I don't know. Yeah, you don't know. It's just that game. We're all, all your humans are different. But ultimately, the good thing was you opened up, right? You want you were free to open up and chat to have a conversation with that person. Whether they threw it back in your face or not, you were still willing to open up because, like you say, you've probably taken on your dad's you know mannerisms of scared. I'm okay. And my dad's my dad's a, my dad's an emotional blocked out freak, right? And I get that from him. But I decided from now on, no, I'm not going to be that guy, this mm. this forty year old dude that doesn't open up emotionally. I'm very open on emotions. I, Linda, now my partner, if someone's pissing me off, I tell her. I don't give if it's okay because I, I just it's doing my head in. I tell her it's doing my nothing. I also think writing about it as well because I actually put pen to paper and I decided that I was going to kind of write a book because what kind of what fascinated me was why. Because all around us, like recently, this year, there's been quite a number of people that have died because of mental health problems. Yeah. People who seemingly had everything. They seemingly had it all. Perfect life, um, great boyfriend, great husband or whatever. Um, wealthy. Great job. Huh? Wealthy, wealthy actors, exactly, it comes up. Exactly. And then, you know, there's been quite... A few high-profile people, and then you think, you know, the feelings that they feel aren't kind of—they're um, not unique to them. We all feel them. So, what makes some people give in, and what makes other people kind of get out of that situation? And that's why. I, I decided to, to, to write about it and, um, you know, created like a 30-step guide. And I thought, if that can help other people, because that's essentially everything that I do in my life. Um, you know, to, I mean, I was, I was told by the doctors that I couldn't have kids and that kind of, I just wanted to die. Is that you definitely never ever could have kids, yeah? They told you that. I was told that there was a thing. I still don't get upset talking about it now. Of course you will. Um, I was told that there was a 5% chance. But the thing is, I don't actually believe them. <laughs> Even though they told me that and I went into a deep depression because um, I was going to freeze my eggs and I was told that, they, that freezing your eggs is the same as IVF, apart from yeah. the fact that they just freeze them instead, and they said that they couldn't do it because they took results and they said my results were really bad. And so that's why I decided to kind of, um, it was after my granddad died, which upset me terribly, but they got me thinking about my, my whole life and about what I wanted. And then I thought, you know, I, I really want kids. So yeah, I approached a few doctors and all of them, there was only one clinic that said they would do it and that was in India, and I, but I had to sign a disclaimer. 
But instead, once I'd got myself out of the depression, I really just wanted to die. I didn't want to be alive. I just thought, oh my God, what's the point in living if I can't have a family? So, um, but then I, that proactive like side of me like just took over and um, I thought, what can I do about it? And the doctors say that you can't change your results, but you can. And a lot of it is kind of, a lot of natural fertility experts just say age is a number. So what I decided to do was just to kind of change my life really. And so I stopped exercising excessively. I was running marathons, I was doing Ironmans and all yeah. the things I was doing, I thought were having a really positive impact on my body but they weren't and I changed my diet as well changed my nutrition went to see an holistic therapist and a lot of it is down to um, like a friend of mine he's got depression at the moment and he suffers from gut problems and I said you've got parasites you need to have a stool sample and I sent him this thing I said go and get tested and you know the parasites can actually create anxiety you know a lot of people say illnesses well, illnesses are created in the gut. You know, it all, all stems from the gut and the food that we eat. So I just completely changed my life. And, you know, I found out that I did have parasites. And um, but actually about 75% of the population have got them. Um, but the, the damage that they actually do to our hormones and, you know, to our intestines and everything, it's absolutely huge. And, um, and like I say, they can kind of create anxiety and, and the whole depression thing as well. So um, it, it wasn't a quick, it, it wasn't a quick process. Um, it, it's probably been about a couple of years, but my body is just, I feel it's, well, I know it is because I've had the test done. And the great thing is though, Zoe, for all that experience you've had, you've, you've been... To the worst place right and now you've come out of it and then you can help people understand and that's the that's the key important for people like myself and you, yourself and me that have had these things is that we've been there we've got there we've you know we've got the ticket we've got a t-shirt we've got the cap we've done the play the jigsaw we've we've been in that horrible place and come out of it for the best and, and then so we can be you say you're not empathetic, but you would be able to empathize with someone in your same situation as you two three four years ago right so we yeah. can sort of we can help people not by trying to be clever or we know more than you, just from going, I know how it feels. And these are things yeah. I did help you. And that's the great thing. That's what I think that's the beauty of human beings that experience allows us to help people. You know, I remember if, when people used to say they'd lost someone close to them and I'd say, Oh, I'm sorry, but I never really understood how it felt. And then when my grandfather died and it devastated me and, um, like that was kind of the start really of kind of a bit of the depression but it was um it was only then that I could actually empathize with people and people would say oh I've lost my mom and I literally I could feel it in my heart I could feel like how like before I just didn't get it and I'd go through the motions and I'd say I'm sorry but this time, you know, I really just wanted to reach out or give them a hug and just say, oh, I'm so sorry, I understand. 
So yeah, it definitely- yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with death for me. Death is just part. Uh, that's for me. One, it's the only guarantee in the world. So I'm very comfortable when like someone in my family, not comfortable is the wrong word, but I deal with it like that. And so I'm because it's. I want to see them. That's this is a bit. So for me, it was like I've always been that way. Someone passed away in my family. You know, I I instantly going to remember the great things about them, not mourn their death. Or you know, I'm not into that yeah. because that's all. It's going to happen to all of us. It's the only guarantee in the world we're going to die. Fact. Exactly. That's true. Um, that's so true. for me, it's all about how can you just you only you only have a short period of time on this earth, right? And I'm not trying to be like Jesus and walk around trying to help people, but I've been a very selfish knob for a lot of my life trying to get build my career up and it's only the last sort of five years maybe four years probably where I've, i think right now i want to help people not help people but use my experiences to help someone if in the same situation and yeah. so that's so that's the whole point of why i just started that group it's like i'm not in there all the time but i just want to open up so guys can talk right and then if i help if, it, if i can help one people one person for not removing herself from this earth and affecting mm-hmm. everyone else then my whole point of starting it and gobbing off about it is mm-hmm. service you know, so...